0: Hey there. What's going on, my friend? This is Dominique with Conversations for Financial Professionals. And we got a bonus episode in this little hiatus after season six and before season seven. My new friend, Diana Yanez, we talk about living out your purpose and teaching underserved communities. In this episode, we cover so much. Deanna is using a group coaching model for financial advice and she is serving the communities she is called to. We talk about how group coaching actually works, how she's deploying it, how her transition as a career changer actually happened, and the skill stack that she's utilizing right now to develop her coaching models. We also talk about where the industry is headed, the reputation of the financial services industry. We also get To some questions from the live audience on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. This is an episode for the ages. I think if you are interested in financial services, especially the group coaching model as a financial coach, you're going to be super excited to hear this. We got a lot of book recommendations in here also. There's just so much packed in this episode. So do me a favor, after you finish listening to this, make sure you leave us a review and give us a thumbs up. That's the way that more people find content like this. All right. Now sit back, enjoy the episode. What's up? What's up, everybody? How you doing out there? We got a a good, good time scheduled here. Holler at me if you're on LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Sorry, lefty out Instagram. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, But we have, um, we have something really, really cool planned today. I have a special guest, as you can see, Diana Yanez, and we're going to be talking about living out your purpose and teaching underserved communities. Um, she's got a story to tell, and so I think this will be particularly inspirational for uh, aspiring financial professionals, those that are on the CFP path. Those that are kind of like borderline, you're on the fence. You're like, man, do I want to dedicate, you know, two three years to this thing, or do I want to do something, you know, different? So we'll definitely be um, um, answering some questions at the end. You can load those in the chat. Um, and it looks like we got some people joining us. What's up, Doctor Sev? What's up, Brian? How you doing? She said, hey, Deanna, she didn't even say hi to me. It's like, godly. this is like no love for the host. What's up with that, Dr. Sev? I thought we was cooler than that. All right, all right, very good. Well, Deanna, what's going on? How are you doing today?
1: I'm excited. It's good to hear that Dr. Sev is here. It's been a bit since I've spoken to her, so this is
0: awesome. Yeah, she's uh she's been hanging around uh, a little bit. I think she's got her own thing going now, so that's, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, we want to get into this topic, I think. When we met over, I don't even remember. It was over LinkedIn. So so social media is the is the culprit here. Uh, but did somebody introduce us? Was what, was that what it was?
1: No, remember. no, no. Like we connected. I reached out. We set up a time together. Yeah. this was like in the past month, I think.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. So I'm sorry. I I get all these kind of mixed up because th- there's a lot that come in. But okay, so we talk and we we kind of. Uh, Oh, no, I know. I remember now you were saying the whole thing about becoming a thought leader. That's what it was. And we had a chat around that because, yes, I I agree with you. The um, the dilemma on that whole thought leadership stuff. But I think your story, your story from what you told me and what I understand about what's going on here with you is I think something that aspiring financial professionals need to hear so they can understand that. Although they see CFP or these letters behind their name, there's a way that you can you can walk out your purpose serving non-traditional groups, and that's what I particularly liked about what you were having to say. But I'm going to hand it over to you. Why don't you tell us what um, what you got going on, like how you got into financial planning, a little bit of your story, and then we'll take it from there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, oh, I was sharing how it's kind of been circuitous how I've gotten into financial planning. I originally worked in finances when I was in college. I thought this world is not for me, but because it's my own personal interest, I just kept coming back, but it took a decade for me to actually make the transition fully back into financial planning. And now I'm definitely living out my purpose, working with groups of people that are traditionally underserved. And I do it as a, as a group coach. Right. So most CFPs are one on one. There's a couple of other like really innovative CFPs out there that are doing group work, but that's one of the, that's like my favorite way of coaching people, because when you're with others, like we end up being like mirrors to each other, right? We Mm. kind of reflect back what's working, what's not working. And we're also kind of windows into other perspectives, other ways of doing things.
0: I like that idea. So, okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll interweave your story into this because you've already introduced some really interesting rabbit trails that I would love to hop down and kind of unpack because yes, traditionally CFPs are not found with doing the coaching model thing. Like not, not the one to many. You're, you're, you're absolutely correct in that. So I would definitely love to hear how you came across that idea or how did that come about? Like what, Were you just trying to scale your your knowledge or like did you see somebody else do it or what was the deal?
1: I I really like it. I prefer I really like group work. Um, And actually, part of my story is when I was in college, I had pretty severe depression. And when I joined group therapy like that was.
0: Sorry, (laughs) wrong button. You had had group therapy and that was really helpful. Sorry. Got to love life, man. You got to love life, right?
1: <laughs> um, and it just normalized my experience. So mm. as of a planner, we're talking about with people about their money. And sometimes it's like their investments and it's very superficial, but a lot of the times you're asking people like, what do you want this money to do for you? What are you trying to build? What are your like limiting mindsets? And when it's one-on-one, it's really easy for like the planner to be up here and the client to be down here. Mm. And then, we are the expert but i'm not the expert in your life
0: wow i love that no you're saying a lot of things that i've heard um uh people like um sandra davis um who i call the you know kind of the goat right uh, of, of financial coaching she's been around for a very long time and i also got the privilege to interview george kinder and he's talked about life planning um and, and you know the the evoke process and and so i want you to talk about that a little bit more because i think This is something for um, uh, aspiring financial planners and even existing financial planners to understand that coaching is different than financial planning. And and if you look at it on this continuum of where people need to be, uh, maybe you can talk to and speak to how you've seen those differences kind of play in the way that you render advice
1: yeah yeah so i i have my cfp i worked at a very traditional registered investment advisory firm for three years i I loved working with them they were great people and i got to do a lot of the technical things and then i have my coaching background actually through kinder i have the registered life planner so i have and and that coaching aspect it's very much and i've heard sandra davis say this, like she's 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 wonderful it's like as a coach you always say like the client has all the answers within them Mm -hmm. And then, as a CFP, we know that money can be really complicated, right? Like every time the Secure Act changes, or like whatever it is, there's a lot of stuff there. Like I can't, I don't want to burden clients thinking that like they have to know everything about money. At the same time, they do know what the right answer is for them. Mm. So that's kind of how I how I map it out. Um, and I'm actually adding a third component completely outside of um, financial planning. I'm going through a training right now called Compassionate Inquiry it's for a lot of it is for people like healing addictions or healing trauma and this third component is more about like moving through things you may know intellectually what you need to do but actually implementing it is Mm -hmm. can be really really different and like again that's where group work is really helpful
0: yeah yeah so so two things um your the third component it sounds more, and we can get into this a little later if you want, but it sounds more. I would call it more therapeutic, cathartic, falling, maybe even falling under financial therapy. Um, and I, I think you you raise a good point in that. As a planner, we may create this really great plan, but if there is not the behavioral change. Or, or, or even willingness to to implement those recommendations is like, what are we doing this for? So like, how, how do you anticipate that third component kind of playing into your 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 practice and how you render advice?
1: It's going to, it's more subtle, right? Okay. So when I have clients that are like, um, cause you can have, I've had clients that are making half a million dollars or living paycheck to paycheck. Yep. Like the numbers at some level don't even matter so helping them slow down and be with the thing that's keeping them stuck
0: mm. and like
1: seeing it, not judging it and then and then you can move through it because right. if I keep pretending that I've got that I don't have a problem like I'm never going to change it so that's how I see it kind of working in it's more in my approach of how I'm with clients than like anything I'm going to have them do and I actually want to take a step back so this this is the audience here is career changers and mm-hmm. I want to tell people like I am a career changer and the three different like areas that I worked in before I basically have them right now as a financial planner
0: wow okay like you're utilizing those skills like you've kind of built your skill stack to take that into the career uh as a financial uh professional and and render advice using all those skills
1: that's what's so beautiful about this this field so
0: talk more about that because I think that's particularly inspiring for somebody that's like Dude, man, I'm starting from scratch. Like I mm-hmm. like I don't have time to do CFP right now or or I have time for it, but man, like before I can use the marks, it's gonna be like two, three, maybe four years. So like like give the encouragement to them that you can you how, how you've maybe used your skills from previous um, things that you've done to 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 parlate that into financial advice.
1: Yeah. So my first straight out of college, I worked as a social worker. Right. So when you think about like this compassionate inquiry training, this trauma training, the coaching, I was using it as a social worker. Mm. And then, uh, but I missed numbers there. Right. So then I worked as a demographer, which is part of my training. I do population shifts. I look at statistics. I love giant data analysis, but I miss people. Uh-huh. But I've got both of those components I'm using now. And then I worked for about four years um, as a business analyst at a, looking at profitability. So that also like helps me understand more of like what clients are going through when they're in corporate America. And maybe the time, cause it was like, I think it took me about a year, two years to study for the CFP. And then it takes this to two years of experience to get the CFP. Like maybe the time isn't shorter, but my career progression is faster because of my past experiences.
0: Mm. No, I love that. I, I like the way you frame that because a lot of people. I think what you've what you understood early is that what I've done before is not wasted. It's mm-hmm. like I just need to figure out a way to fit it into the puzzle, and I think that's a really great insight and great perspective. Because, like, if if you're like, I tell people all the time, like, so you used to be a teacher, or you used to be a nurse, or you used to be an engineer, like when you start rendering financial advice, why not go back to the company or the people that you already know, that know and like you, and they just need to trust you when it comes to financial advice or their money, uh, because you've already kind of got a built-in specialty or niche, and it sounds like you've done some of that with what you're doing uh, by mixing your skills, stacking your skills.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I love that term, stacking your skills, skills, because it really is like, again, this career as a financial planner, all of the skills that you've developed anywhere, you get to use them here, Hmm. right? Yeah. You like people, you like numbers, this is awesome. This is perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk about the, um, something I want to go back to that you said, uh, and just for those that are joining us, we are talking to Diana Yanez, and we are, the the topic is living out your purpose in teaching underserved communities, because she's been doing exactly that. We're going to dig a little bit more into that because you use a group coaching model, which is like pretty non-traditional, traditional. traditional, And you saying that in that group format, I think the biggest question that people will probably have from this, especially existing financial advisors that are working one-on-one is, well, like, how do you get that together? Like, are you in a Zoom or something? Or do you do it in a big, you know, room? Like, how, and are people like, You know feeling some type of way and not wanting to expose like what their money problems are and their you know maybe some privacy issues like so how do you navigate that
1: yeah 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 this is really more of like where my coach training comes in right it's really important that you have a container right so what is a container it's like when you come into this group and it's all done virtually um part of my life purpose or like life goal or whatever it is right now is like i want to travel through latin america right i'm serving the u.s market I'm living in Mexico. I'm living in Colombia. I'm going to go to Brazil. I'm practicing my Portuguese. Like I'm living my best life. And I'm figuring out how to make my business support my best life and how to make sure that like my life is also supporting it. So in the group coaching, when you come into this container, this is not a regular Zoom meeting. Right. I come in and I have really clear suggested guidelines and every cohort gets to add to the guidelines. The first one is um, confidentiality. What happens here when you leave here? Let it stay here, right? Very much the Vegas rules. It's listening to respond or listening to understand. Sorry, listening to understand rather than respond. No, A lot of the times we listen to each other. Yeah, that's huge. And then not giving advice. So we don't give each other advice. We give each other appreciation, right? If someone says like, "I finally talked to my partner about." the way that we were talking to our kids about money, right? We'll appreciate each other, but we won't be like, oh, you should have said it this way.
0: Mm. So let's put a pin in that. That's really huge. I think it's a very subtle change, but you have to be present in the moment in order to really identify how much you are talking and or getting, giving advice. when, Even when you're in a prospective client meeting. And, and again, this is if you want to adopt a more coaching centric approach versus, you know, the advice giver, I, what I've found out is, although my clients do hire me for my expertise and advice, you're right. They have the answers inside of them. And, and they pretty much going to do what they want to do.
1: <laughs> just, don't, okay. don't they're do. That's, that's it. And I, them when these adults are hitting their head against the wall. I tell them, you're hitting against your head against the wall. This is the wall you know well. Yeah. And you don't want to hit your head against the wall. And then you're continuing to do it, right? Yeah. A lot of the time. And yeah. planners get frustrated. They're like, yeah. why are these clients not listening to me? There's no bad clients. Just like yeah. we say that in therapy all the time. There's no bad ther- there's no bad clients. Your approach just isn't working.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that because it's it's the subtle difference between hey, do this or do that and uh, versus making an observation and saying, hey, Deanna, I noticed when you said such and such, such and such, right? It just that little thing, it, it, it totally positions you as observing something versus the person now getting defensive because there's a lot of defenses people throw up that we don't even see. Like I would say 90% of them we don't see. But in, in your language has all to do with it. So that's great. Go 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 on. I, I interrupted because I I, I was no, I was curious no, on that I mean, topic. But like I mean. so, you're the, maybe talk a little bit more about how. So let me ask this: in the group coaching, is are you kind of facilitating, if you will, uh, different types of problems, or are you know, for instance, does couple one or the mm-hmm. people in this group have? say, like a cash flow issue, and then somebody else is wanting to do investments and then somebody else is having an estate issue. So do you mingle all those together or do you how do you do that?
1: So I'm not so in the group cohort, in the group sessions, we're mostly talking about mindset. We're mostly doing our own visioning, right? So we're figuring Mm -hmm. out what we want and then how to get there. It's a lot of like growing awareness about both what we want and what we don't want and then breaking it down into small little steps so that people can okay. start to take action. Again, most the clients that I'm serving are underserved. They don't have complicated estate plans. Hmm. They don't have complicated, they don't have, I mean, I'm not looking at their RSUs, right? There is, because I'm also, all the colors, the company that I founded is not an RIA. There's very clear distinctions between what I'll do and what clients I'll bring in for Got the group home as to the ones I won't. The ones that do come in, though, they're looking at, again, where are you headed and how do you get there? It's awareness and action. So every time we come in, we we have we check in of like what's happened on your money since with your money since we last met. And what do you want to happen next if it hasn't worked or if it has isn't going the way that you want it to go? What's the feedback that you're getting?
0: Mm.
1: So it's a lot of like slowing down because people often won't look at their money until there's a crisis.
0: Yeah, that's true. I say this all the time. I was like, uh, you know, when I'm in a prospective client meeting, uh, I'll ask people, "So, what, what brings you to to sitting on the other side of the the Zoom today?" And you know, there's nothing. I was like, because most people don't just say they want to see a CFP for no reason. There's usually an event that happens. So, no, I'm glad to acknowledge that. I, I mention that all the time, and I I think it's good for us to ask those questions in and, and the. And the the layered question, right? The why behind the why behind the why? Because that very first why that you ask, it's probably what you what they think you want to hear, right? And, and you got to dig a little deeper and maybe phrase it so that you can find out what the real problem is, right? Because people just coming to you saying, "Yeah, I just want to save you know a million dollars or three million dollars or whatever. I just want to retire." Like I, I don't take those answers. I'm like that that's not good enough. Like you gotta have to give me more. <laughs> so now.
1: How do you ask them to give you more? Like, do you give them examples? Like, what do you do there?
0: I, I, I typically ask people, what about money is important to you? That's one of my mm-hmm. core questions. Because when you tell me, well, money is important to me so I can have options. Well, options to do what? Well, options to spend time, to do, travel, to uh, do this, do this. Okay. So what about those things are important to you? And then they give me another layer. And then I go, well, what about that is important to you? And and eventually we get four or five layers in and, and it's like, well, I really just want to have time so that I can travel because like I, I've never gotten to do that as a kid. And, and here's the reasons why. And this is why it's so important to me. And I'm like, oh, OK, so now we can build into your plan some things like traveling every so often. We have to worry about getting this big, huge nest egg for 30 years down the road. That really doesn't mean anything, especially if you don't make it 30 years down the road. So. Um, that's typically my approach is, and it's, it's really, really about how can you live your best life now, right? Because we don't know, we're not promised tomorrow. So that, that's kind of my deal.
1: Right. So how do I translate that to group, right? Cause I'm not doing it one-on-one with each client there. I do a lot of breakout sessions. I am facilitating okay. Goal is always like they're 90 minute sessions. We meet weekly for six weeks and then we mm-hmm. meet monthly. So it's a total of six month program. It's, it's Got six it. months women that people are doing. And my goal is doing the 90-minute session that I present maybe 20, 30 minutes. The rest of the time, it's them doing journaling exercises. I do a lot of journaling. I actually do a lot of drawing. And I have them do breakout sessions together.
0: Wow. So, and this is virtually?
1: Yeah, it's virtual.
0: Wow. So, okay, so I'm just thinking a 90-minute session, a third of that or less, you're guiding. And then the rest of it, they're on their own. Which is like
1: the, the rest of it. I'm facilitating conversations. Okay, okay, they're not on their own, but I'm facilitating conversations. They're okay. kind of they, they interact with each other. One of the biggest shifts for me as a financial planner is that I, I. I mean, I love my clients. Part of the reason that I want to serve in this capacity is that I can serve hundreds of people a year, mm-hmm. as opposed to like seventy five families for the rest of my life. Yeah, I get right. It. But what was really nice about the 75 family model is that I knew everything about them. I knew their dog. I knew the birthdays. I knew everything. And like, I I could tell I, in some ways I'm like getting all choked up. It's like, in some ways I knew them better than they did themselves when it came to their money quirks. And now I don't get that Mm. right now. I'm just kind of like empowering them. I'm helping them own their power with money and I don't get to see it as deeply, which is something that I'm like, okay, maybe I need to bring in individual coaching again so that I get that that nurturing that's a, so
0: okay so that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because it, there's a trade-off. You can't really have both because if you want to serve hundreds and you want to scale and make impact, you're going to have to sacrifice the intimacy of individual relationships in that recall like you're talking about that mm-hmm. make it really really like family versus being able to serve a lot more people and, you know, keep that ball rolling. I think ultimately, just parenthetically, this is kind of what I had, a, a, a you know, kind of like a, a, an inflection point or kind of I want to say a crisis point, but it was just like, OK, this is great. I'm on my own now, but I'm never going to serve everybody. And so group coaching, you know, in my mind, wasn't there six years ago. But I did say, OK, what if I deposited the knowledge that I know? into people that wanna become financial planners, right? Then I can multiply myself that way or duplicate myself that way. So I think you just have to find out what your real why is and and go after that and, and, you know, there might be bumps in the roads, but it seems like yours is working just fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I don't even know what I call it, a sacrifice. I prefer the word trade off Mm -hmm. because what I see happen, so part of the coaching is also accountability sessions. So after we've met for the first month, they get an accountability buddy, right? And like they then via text, via the app that I have for the program. Did they do the thing they were going to do? And I can see that they're getting to know each other better, mm. which in many, many ways is much more useful than us becoming really close because I'm not going to be their lifelong planner. Instead, I want them to develop the skills to talk about money, which in and of itself, in a society, in our society, it's so taboo to talk about money, Yeah, yeah. but I'm doing those skills with like that one other person in the program, next thing you know, it's their sister. It's their friend. It's their boss. It's their partner. You know, like they're practicing those skills, mm-hmm. and not just me—the the coach, the planner.
0: No, I think I think that's wonderful. So let me let me um, let me in, interject here, kind of like okay, reset. So we're talking about living out your purpose and teaching underserved communities. Uh, Deanna has been so gracious to kind of really you know let us peek behind the curtain on how she's on, how you're, let's say, deploying this group coaching model i think that the natural question for somebody that's watched this for you know 25 minutes or so is like so why did you decide to do cfp if, if you're going to be a coach like what like what did you do that for i didn't know <laughs> good answer okay <laughs> that's fair
1: <laughs> i did not know you know if i mean i i don't really like like this is separate, but I don't really like suspense films. Like if I could, I wish I could go to like the Wikipedia of my life and find out what happened. Mm. Honestly, I would love, love, love that. But I didn't know. Mm. And I'm really, really grateful for the path that I took because like those three years that I worked with high net worth individuals showed me over and over and over that it wasn't about the money.
0: Mm. What do you mean by that?
1: Because I saw people with all different levels of assets, all different levels of income, have the same conversations that I was having with people who had who are on benefits, mm. right? There are similar conversations. There's this really great book by Brent Kessler. He's one of the founders of Abacus, and he the book is called It's Not About the Money, right? And that that book is a great, it's great for anybody who's thinking about financial planning and is looking more at the coaching aspect, not even the coaching aspect, but like the human relationship aspect of it, mm-hmm. that's a really good book to go to.
0: Yeah, I think, um, and I didn't know if you were going to go into this but and we can. Um, I, I think I agree with you in that I've worked with, you know, this high net worth individuals too uh, for quite a long time, like, you know, half a billion under management, 200 relationships I was responsible for for, for over six years. And, and what I found out is, Regardless of the amount of zeros in your bank account, the human condition is still the same. Like people want the same things in life. And it's not money. It's what money will provide. Uh, Typically options, optionality. Right. Um, I've seen a lot of people get in bad health and and money can't fix that. Right. Especially if you have the weight of regret from damage relationships or any of that kind of stuff like so human condition wise money is the greatest um i, I would say human condition is a great equalizer because money m- money is trumped by that and so I, I think that's important to realize or it was important for me to realize when i decided who i wanted to work with and who i wanted to help who i wanted to serve who i wanted to show up to be my best for that group of people because um knowing that you don't have to necessarily feel one way or another. Like I've heard a lot of people like, I want to go back and serve this group of people. That's great. Just know if you're the best to serve them. And if you can shape yourself in the way to be the best to serve them, because that's what did the most, to me, that's the most important thing because that's how you have the most impact. What are your thoughts on that?
1: No, I love that. How do you shape yourself to be the best to serve them? Um, So, and I, when I think about the people I want to serve, I want to serve people who, again, I've been mentioning like hitting their head against the wall, people who are like, I've been doing this, it's not working, I'm finally ready to do something different. And I also focus a lot, like part of my story is like, my parents are are immigrants they were born in Mexico and I was the first one born in the US. So coming back to Mexico for the holidays, for all kinds of things, my family, grocery shopping, everything, it was always kind of like, what is the reason for my good fortune of where I was born? Mm. So I, part of what motivates me is like thinking, how can more of us be out of, like, I don't know, have, have not have food and housing insecurity. And mm. I'm in the right now. And it's so heartbreaking to see children work at like all hours of the day, you know? Yeah. Part of my client base or the people that I, that are attracted to working with me have social justice as part of their their values and a lot of the times in social justice, meaning that like I'm doing well, my community's doing well, yeah. seeing how, how interrelated it is. And often people who have social justice values think money is the root of all evil, right? And, and then they keep, they- People misquote
0: them. that scripture all the time.
1: I <laughs> don't even know enough about the scripture to have an opinion, yeah. but I've seen people who have like this big, beautiful heart push away money. Mm. And then they're hurting themselves.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So how do I shape myself to serve those people?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so. It. it I think this is a good segue to something I want to ask you and then we'll we'll start to uh, bring it in for landing. Where do you see the industry headed like? I have this thought about it, but I want to hear yours because I kind of think we're on the same wavelength when it comes to where this industry is headed. But like, as far as anybody out there that's like, I am a career changer. I'm an aspiring financial professional. I don't want to do what I was doing anymore. I don't feel you know like I was called to do that. I, I mean, I really love you know budgets and money and da 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 investments. Whatever their deal is, you know, I've, I've kind of heard it all. Um, and if they were asking you, Diana, like. What is the what do you think the main thing that I need to to know about where this industry is headed? What, what would you say?
1: A lot of the things that the industry was doing 20, 30 years ago, even 10 years ago, are being commoditized. Right. So a lot of like the numbers side of it is being commoditized. It's easier for people to do it on their own. But the people aspect of it is becoming more and more important and also personalization. A lot of us are so used to like our phone knows everything about us and like, will give us exactly what we want. So being able to personalize it for people, I think financial planners are going to have to get more and more niched, like having a really clear ideal client persona so that you can call them in. I also think, I don't know enough about it, but I think of AI, I think Mm -hmm. of the things that are being automated, what things can't be automated. I also think about climate collapse and holds anger around like it's just heartbreaking you know like we're definitely not thinking seven seven generations out Mm. we're not thinking of our long-term impact on each other on the planet um and that that's not like directing the financial planning services but the financial services needs to respond to that Mm. right be ESG one of the firms actually um I both have all the colors and I also contract with strategy squad wealth advisor there and there i get to serve high net worth individuals so i'm serving the whole gamut of people right now and i love their focus on private investment placements Hmm. right so it's not for everyone but for the people that we serve it's beautiful to see them feel really good about what their money is doing for the community around them so for people who are curious about that interested in that there's definitely a place for that here
0: yeah 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 i i I do feel you know, at least my work in the consultancy space with aspiring financial professionals and career changers ha- has shown me the array of interests that are out there as far as what people are are, are, are feeling their call to or their purpose. And what's interesting about this is there's definitely been a shift, and I would agree, probably in the last 10 years more so, uh, arguably longer than that. but. People are have definitely shifted away from I want to get into this industry so I can make a lot of money if there's if that's what they want, they're not saying that because they, and and they're not serving people that would provide that. so I, I think it's a true statement. and people have gotten more um, the consensus has been more around um, I wouldn't call it altruism. it's not total altruism it's it's basically like this, you know I want to go back and deposit into my community. To make my community better, or the or, or the people that are, are are me or look like me or whatever, there's a lot of that too. And and I, I would agree with you. I think um, I was just talking to an advisor the other day about this. You know, the governing piece of legislation around our industry, uh, which is you know totally outdated. It's 1940. I mean, we're in, we're in 2022. You know, and we got that legislation that kind of governs what investment advice is, and it hasn't really captured the broad array of the continuum that is financial therapy, financial coaching, financial planning, financial education, financial counseling, you know, all these things that people need way more than helping them pick the investments in their 401k. You know, it's just like, uh, I really hope the industry does start to change. And, and I'll tell you, um, I was on a post thread um, talking about invest fest that just happened, I think in Atlanta with earn your leisure and, You know, a lot of the, uh, um, what am I trying to say? The financial education space. um, And they had a lot of consumer turnout. And the warning, I think, um, shot across the bow is, okay, traditional financial planning or financial advice community, if you don't wake up to start delivering what consumers of financial services are demanding, you're going to lose them forever. You've already tainted the trust by, you know, charging too high for services that you could charge lower for. But we have this whole group of financial educators that are basically people are listening to them. (laughs) You can't ignore them anymore. So that's where I think the I think there's more of a blend or a, a convergence happening. And I think you as a as a aspiring financial professional, I think you want to be on the side of meeting consumer demand and being more sensitive to what people actually want.
1: Right, right. Seeing the wave of demand, and then and then writing on that, and like and it's people are all so different. I think there's a space for whatever style you want, even if your style is like appropriate for the 1940s legislation. You know, like there is still that space where you can. Just I don't know. And- I
0: think that dinosaur's dying. I'll tell you. <laughs> I think that dinosaur's die. I've said this before. You know, the stale, pale male imp- portion part of uh, of this of this um industry has not served. The broad public very well. That's a true statement, and I I don't I don't feel uncomfortable about stepping on anybody's toes. I think I'm here to help, and if people have been listening to me for a while, will know that I am. But the 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 uh, let me know what I'm trying to say the um, the picture that financial services has presented to the consumer is very off putting. Yeah. Nobody wants that, and so we have to look at how we change. How we become, you know, like you said, those those um, that analogy that you gave, where the financial provider of services is up here and the consumers down here. There's a level playing field now, and we've got to act like that it is, and we've got to come in more humble, more contrite, whatever term you want to use, but meeting people where they're at.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love the term "guide" for what I do Mm. more than coach. It's like a guide. I just like I guide you to. That's what Carl Richards
0: says. He uses that term.
1: Oh, does he? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah that, that, that. I like that term better. And I, I think a lot of the—I mean—as w- a financial professional, whenever I tell people I work in finances, they kind of take a step back.
0: We clear. I, we I, we clear dinner room. I'm telling you, like, no, what, what's don't the know. what's the deal? Like, we have to own that. We have to own that. Whenever we say, "Hey, what do you do, Diana?" Well, I'm in financial services, or I'm a financial advisor, financial people go. <laughs> Like, that's embarrassing. Like, we got to fix that.
1: Well, and I mean, I, a lot of my training I'm doing in spaces that are social justice, they're therapeutic. And again, I tell them I work in finances and they look so confused. They're like, why, why would you work there? (laughs) Honestly, kind of the vibe I got from them, even from like virtual networking, I get that vibe. Yeah. And I'm okay with it because it's deserved. Not Mm. me personally but the most well-recognized financial service provider is Bernie Madoff.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's actually a good point.
1: You know, if we don't have this reputation, the financial services rep doesn't have this reputation because it's, I don't know, a sheep, you know, it's a, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing Off then.
0: It's almost an oxymoron because it's financial services and the root word in services is serve, but no one thinks we do that,
1: no. which is unfortunate. And it's it's part of like our confusion around money and like always like this this be, this like greed that we have that like not knowing what enough means, mm. like not knowing what satiate, not even valuing satiation. Right? Like if you're if you're if you have enough, you're a mediocre, you're a loser, right? So that that distinction. And again, when I think of climate collapse, I'm like, if we knew what enough was, we wouldn't keep ourselves in a path that's not going to end nicely. You know, I'm trying to keep my words really clean. Uh,
0: (laughs) I think, I think we're, we're, we're hitting, hitting on a problem that is going to take way more brains and time to solve. It's a very complex problem because the consumerism age that we're in, I don't know people want to, I don't know that people think we can have our cake and eat it too, but I I actually believe we can. I, I believe we can be in a society where you have unlimited optionality, but, you have such a concrete hold on what's valuable to you that you don't get distracted with all the other bells and whistles that are out there. And you can just be around that stuff, right? Because I'll never have a big enough bar of soap to clean up everything. But I I, 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 can, I can stay in my lane, so to speak. So uh, let, let's do this. Um, let's answer a couple of questions. Um, what? Um, I think we already kind of talked about the you know, the advice, um, there was someone in here that asked something. Oh, Dr. Sev said there were 12,000 attendees at the Invest Fest, if she remembers correctly, which is just huge. That's just ridiculous. We've never had anything like that. We're, like, we, the best we can do is an industry conference, you know, for just ourselves that we don't even invite consumers to, and we get nowhere near those numbers, which is just kind of sad. But uh, we got it backwards. It's kind of like why I'm boycotting conferences right now um okay let's talk about just real quick um alonzo asked about any tips on hunkering down on spending time on self-study um put up your phone and turn off your tv that's what i did
1: yeah Um, i mean i used to wake up at 4 a.m to do that right when i was working as a as a business analyst uh, you just have to figure out what's your what's your time like like when do you have the most energy and 4am was when I had the most energy back then and it was exhausting but it's not forever you know you can't yeah get-
0: that, I mean I would agree yeah that's the probably the the thing you have to get your mind around first is it, it is not forever I've talked to a lot of people that have not you know passed on the very first try for that exam or even the second time and and my question to them is always well it's two questions it's did you put in the 250 hours that they recommend at least and if they say no to that then I'm like go do that first because mm-hmm. there's a reason why the people that pass say that they put it to for the hours. so like just like just do what they say that's the first thing and then the yeah. second thing is is we when you, we when you have a problem with that then it's like do you want to take the test again like do, do you really want to be sitting back over doing that over again so like, I don't know that, that those are my thoughts. What, what about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I part. Of, I just have to know yourself, know what motivates you. And what motivated me was like getting my gold star. So I was my goal was to study between 15 to 20 hours a week. Yeah, and that's I did me. that yeah. for about a year and a half. Right. And like I would track it like I did three hours on this day. and like it's just mm-hmm. figure out what motivates you, make it really small and achievable. I think um, Atomic Habits like James Clear talks about like if you want to learn how to floss your teeth, floss one tooth. Or if you want to do push-ups, do one push-up, right? And it was like every day I'm going to study two hours. Like that was the goal. That was mm-hmm. doable. scheduled it in. I made the rest of my life fit around it. Um, yeah, that's it. That's
0: what are your thoughts going. about CFP? I have some. I have some some interesting opinions about if a career changer just getting into this industry. Maybe they're not interesting opinion. They're my opinions. Let's put it that way. Uh, just getting into this industry. Uh, you know, they're coming, let's just say that somebody's coming from nursing 15 years or something like that. And they're like, I want to pivot into financial services. Would you advise, go directly to Dalton or whatever, enroll into a program and and start CFP?
1: You know, I, when I was looking at the career change, I went to the financial planning association meetings for maybe a year because I was kind of like, I had cold feet about Mm -hmm. changing careers again. But I didn't ever spend time with financial therapy or with financial coaches. I think if I had, I might have taken a different path, right? So I would ask that person with 15 years of nursing experience, like, what exactly do you want to do? Is the CFP the appropriate one? And at the same time though, it's like the gold standard, right? And I'm going to keep my CFP because out of 80,000 CFPs, 20% are women, 1.5% are Latino, which means that there are 600 Latinas in the entire country with a CFP. Right. Yeah, a- the
0: statistics are pretty, they're pretty, um, they're pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I think, I don't know, people probably heard enough of me on this, but I will say once again, I think your path of going to FPA meetings for a year before you make that decision is kind of right in line with what I think. I think most people... A, don't understand what CFP even really means or does, which is like one of my more popular videos on, on YouTube, which is like the day in the life of to kind of just give people a like I think you should study and research this thing before you try to say you're going to become anything like don't do it just because there's been great advertising or there's this scholarship program or what those are not good reasons, especially when you get into the 12th hour of this thing and you're like, God, like, why did I sign up for this? Like, you're, you're going to need more motivation than Oh, I got two thousand dollars off of a scholarship like it's not going to be good enough. So I always start people with why do you want to do this? How many CFPs have you talked to? Do you know what a CFP does? Like if you're just doing this to check the box, because you're like, if I go down this path, someone will hire me. OK, will that be the person that you want to work for? Like, will they be serving the clients that you want to serve? Like, like have you thought about any of those questions. So mm-hmm. I always tell people to go back to like, go start with research like look up people that are cfps talk to people that are cfps get Nancy langdon jones book so you want to be a financial planner read through those stories then come back to me and see if you still want to be a cfp
1: yeah and like i guess i could have done the afcpe i could have done a coaching thing but what's really nice about having the cfp again it's that it's very well respected it opens a lot of doors for me now so maybe this is me thinking oh i made the right decision you know how we always like whatever decision we like we can look back and say it was the right one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a little bit right of bias.
1: Now- <laughs> Confirmation bias. I'm happy I got it.
0: Yeah, I think yeah.
1: It- opening, it gives me a lot more credibility in certain circles. And there's ways that I can have the other things that I didn't get through the CFP. Because the CFP is honestly meant for one segment of the population that I now serve like 20% of my time.
0: I was actually thinking about that while you were while you were saying that, because I was like, well, you have, you know, a, a, a wide array. Sounds like coaching takes up most of your time, which you may use some of those principles, but arguably you didn't need them to do what you're doing in that particular instance. Uh, your skill stack seemed like it was more important in that particular instance. So, yeah. Uh, OK, we're going to wind it down. Uh, Ashley comes in and says, we talked about advisors with 1940 Industry Mindset. But what about clients who still have the 1940 mindset? Mm, Good point. How do you get them to see and understand the importance of understanding the why and the fact it's necessary in creating creating a true financial plan? Mm, Interesting question. So basically how do you help clients out of a old mindset to see the real value of planning? My answer is first you have to own, not to say you don't, but I think the step one is First, the advisor, uh, the financial professional needs to own the value of planning like and when I say own the value of planning, um, I don't mean just, hey, this is the price I charge for my advice. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you've done the work yourself. You've created a plan and you believe in the fact of planning because of how it's worked in your life. Like that's a start, because I think it's very hard to um, to sell anything with conviction, let alone financial advice. (laughs) Uh, if you have not done the work yourself, what do you think, Deanna?
1: Definitely. I think a lot of the time it ends up being about attraction, right? Clients Mm -hmm. come to me because they're attracted by my website, by the things that I talk about. And it's so focused on the value of the financial coaching that I do, the financial services. Mm -hmm. I haven't had anyone come and ask me like, well, What's your value and also like the 1940s mindset that was investment only focused right Mm. so this is asking what do you do with clients that only want to look at investments that don't want to look at the like the values around their money or their beliefs around money or what they want to do with the money yeah i i think of this this is not related but i think of this conversation that i heard with um resna and reverend kyoto angel kyoto williams and they're both like very active in like just dis- dismantling racism movement. So completely separate, right? But at one point they're talking about like, well, what do you do with white people who don't want to talk, who don't want to acknowledge white supremacy? Mm. And I think it was, I think it was Reverend Angel Keona Williams. She's like, well, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you even talking to them? Like, go make a sandwich, you know, just move on with your life.
0: <laughs> well, there, there's, you bring up an interesting point. And I, I always try to get a little bit more context. And I don't know Ashley's situation. We've actually kind of conversed on LinkedIn, if I remember, through DM. But sometimes you have to make a hard decision. And I know everybody doesn't need to start their own firm. However, there's a large population amongst all financial professionals that are employed, and I'm going to have to say it, by the broken dealer. And it is what it is, and all broker dealers are not created the same. Right. All compliance officers and compliance departments are not created the same. And I think the key differentiation point here to understand is, with a broker dealer, nine times out of ten, you could probably be seven and sixty-six or six and sixty-three, something like that, and you Mm -hmm. are a registered representative of the broker dealer, which means the client is not who you serve. Mm-hmm. The broker dealer is who you serve. That's just in the legalese of what the series seven says. Just look at it. It says registered representative, registered representative who? Not the client of the firm. So you serve the firm's best interest. By definition, you can't be a fiduciary also. So if you're finding a conflict there, you might have to move around. That's just the hard truth of that. I think a lot of people don't understand that that those worlds are different for a reason. Independent allows you to serve the client. A firm where you are the IAR of the RIA, that RIA, as long as they're doing the right thing, they have a fiduciary obligation to serve the best interest of the client. And by byproduct, you are part of that. But if you're with the broker dealer, you hope they're doing the right thing. But at the end of the day, i tell you who they're serving. And if they're, they're publicly traded, then they're serving the interest of the stockholder. So
1: yeah. And for those clients who only want to look at like a tiny portion of their money and not the rest of it, there is a pl- There is a planner out there who wants to do that with them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. The, refer them away. That, I think that's the best thing to do. Sometimes you can't serve them, and that's okay. Yeah. I've had a lot of those conversations. So it is what it is. I think, you know, when you think there, what is there? Cerulean Associates there's like something like 300,000 people that use the term financial advisor. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's plenty of people to choose from. I mean, (laughs) they got to be able to find someone. I mean, so.
1: Right. And like, and I think us as planners, when we're doing the prospecting meeting, when we're getting to know the client, the more clear that I am on who I want to serve, and the more that I can ask questions to vet the client, the easier it'll be for, like, it'll easier it'll be to have a strong relationship, right? Mm, So if, like, been working together for three months and now, the planner realizes there's not actually a fit it's feedback that you need to do that fit that match earlier on in the meeting and you may continue to be with the client you may not want to refer them out whatever it is it's all just learning you know yeah. we don't we don't come out of the womb knowing how knowing how to vet our clients
0: yeah no i would agree and in and, and too i think early on in your career sometimes I get that you may want to make that sale because it may be financially beneficial for you. You may like have some obligations. I get that. Just know that on the back end, if it wasn't a really good fit, it's never really going to be a good fit. Like it doesn't morph into a good fit. <laughs> Somebody's got to compromise, either you or the client. So <laughs> So, well, great, great, great stuff. Um, Deanna, I really appreciate your expertise. This has been a really great conversation. I've been really enjoyed it. Um, how can people find you?
1: I, uh, my website is allthecolors.net for network. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that, those are the best places to find me.
0: All right. all right. Well, and we'll make sure that we link all your uh, social profiles into the show notes when we when we post this and uh, if you guys have questions, you can um, find her on LinkedIn, or you can um, comment on this one uh, on this YouTube video. And um, are you on YouTube? Do you have a YouTube channel?
1: No, I don't. Okay. Not
0: okay. Sure. Well, then, then comment comment on the thread in LinkedIn. That'll be a better way to to see, and we'll we'll make sure we tag her on that. So, love that you were here. Thank you for the deposit into the audience, and um, wish you the best of luck. Let's stay in touch. Okay.
1: Wonderful conversation. Thank you.
0: All right. Bye bye.